You're very welcome to the Firm and Fast Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Derby. To mark our 26th episode, I've decided to change the entry music into something a little more upbeat and summary, just like today's guest, Richard Powell. This is Richard's second appearance in the show. He joined us early doors for an episode entitled Greenkeeping 101. This time we're delving into the world of writing, which to be honest he knows a bit about. Richard can paint luxurious pictures in the minds of his readers through his Pitchmarks Substack blog, which has made a recent reappearance after a short hiatus. Reading Richard's writing inspired me to start scribbling again in December 2021, but less about me and more about someone I've come to appreciate as one of the best modern-day golf writers. We'll take a look at Richard's journey to this point over the course of the episode, obviously taking in a few pit stops along the way, as regular listeners will uh, expect. We've been exciting announcement, competition, an essay on the smell of rain, and so much more. There are a multitude of links in the show notes that are well worth exploring, so please take the time to do so. Many thanks for returning listeners, and welcome to the new ones. Strap yourself in to listen to our chat with Richard Pennell. Until the next time, happy golfing. Join us live from the day job in the boardroom at West Byfield Golf Club in Surrey. How are you? I'm good, Shane. Thank you. Another day at the cold face, uh, but uh, I've been looking forward to this all day. So thank you for having me on. Nice to see you again. Uh, always a pleasure to see you. How has the summer season been for everybody at West Byfield? Oh, it's been a great summer. Um, bone dry. I think we've had about 10 mil of rain in the last two and a half months so the golf course is firm and fast appropriately and uh, ball bouncing around all over the place and just everyone's smiling it's a real golfers club this and everyone's you know reaping the uh, joy of the sunshine out there excellent well maybe by way of a little introduction to those that don't know west by Fleet, i just had a little squiz on your website um and as in a lead-in maybe a bit of background is worthwhile and you did say that you did I pull this down? So I will read it out, uh, as opposed to have you remember something. Thank you. And miss something maybe important. <laughs> so West Byfleet is a Cuthbert Butcher's original design with major revisions by John Abercrombie, no less, in 1922. Indeed, further minor works have been directed in turn by Arthur Croom, James Braid, John Morrison, and most recently Mackenzie and Ebert. Jesus, that's a veritable who's who of historical figures. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a funny one. It, it sort of goes under the architectural radar, West Byfleet, but it's, as you say, it had great people working on it. It's had various incarnations. Uh, it's the only club I know of that's had two centenaries. Uh, Bleak Dan, the original club, was formed in 1906, so they had a, a centenary for that in 2006, but it turned into West Byfleet Golf Club in 1922. So last year, when I started working here, was the the centenary of that entity. So, yeah, it's an interesting place um, and never gets mentioned with Abercrombie's name next to it. Um, 
but you know we all know the limited but um, illustrious career he had with Coombe Hill and the Addington and Warpleston and so on. Noel Park, another gorgeous design. It's a shame you need to come and play. It's a great golf course. You need to invite me, Richard. Well, I am doing so. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, we take it as read that we'll uh, we may organise a wee trip live uh, on the on the podcast this evening. So uh, let's let's remember to get back to that. Listen, just uh, one further uh, smidgen of information with regard to West Byfleet. I understand that the course sits on Bagshot Sand. Hmm. I'm assuming that it's Bagshot the place as opposed to a type of Bagshot Sand. Please excuse my undoubted ignorance. Does that mean that West Byfleet is a Heathland golf course? No, no, not these days. There's a little bit of heather out there. I think there was more Heathland... um, you know, going back several generations, there's a story in the book, uh, which I think is probably true, that someone put too much lime down and that affected the acidity of the soil and killed off all the heath. But um, it's a parkland golf course these days. Uh, they also planted some trees uh, during the Second World War, I think, to, well, allegedly to prevent people landing on this bit of land. So. Um, You sort of play through um, corridors, predominantly pine, but there's some deciduous stuff out there. But it is very much parkland golf, but wide open, and you never lose a ball, even with my game, and it's um, it's so much fun to play. And it drains well. I suspect you doth protest too much, Mr. Uh, (laughs) Pavel. Your game is probably better than you let on. Uh, No, it's awful at the moment, but let's move on. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I see you're back with a vengeance on the blogging front. So, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So, it felt really good to press send on one. I've sort of been deliberating about it for a while, but I've been playing loads of golf and I've got lots to say. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's fun. Thank you. No problem. Well, you've also been gorging on golf with games at Broadston, Glasson in Ireland, Portum in Ireland, Esker Hills in Ireland, the Berkshire, Hailing, Gossick, Hollandwell, the Addington and Royal Melbourne. I saw Royal Melbourne, Royal Wimbledon. Jesus, oh, to be you! You stand accused of golf overindulgence. Is it any wonder you took a wee hiatus from writing the Pitchmarks blog? <laughs> yeah, I've played a bit. Yeah, I'm enjoying it there. You got to while the sun shines. Yeah, it's been rich coming from me. I have had the pleasure of a few of the new holes at Portmarnock Links recently. After three hours sleep. Uh, um, after three hours sleep, actually, on consecutive nights watching the US Open, a trip to the Netherlands, of which there are a number of dispatches on the Firm and Fast Substack blog. I'll stick a link on the show notes. Um, there's a few more dispatches coming. It's also linked off the homepage of the Firm and Fast website, uh, firmandfast.golf, in addition to a few spins around, around Royal Dublin. And if that's not an underestimation of what I've been doing at Royal Dublin, well, let's just say I'm enjoying the new bunkers. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I've I've teased a big announcement on Twitter and 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 Instagram over the last few weeks. So the the juice better be worth the squeeze. The time has come for you to spit it out. What news is breaking from the man also known as Pitch Marks? I know you've recently been playing plenty of golf. Rumor has it that you're getting ready to enter the sectional qualifying for the Open Championships at Hoylake as an homage to Morris Flintoff and his notorious qualification escapades, perhaps under an assumed name like P.J. Woodhouse? 
No, no such joy, Shane. The way I played on Monday, Flintoff would have beaten me ten and eight. I, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm not equipped for that. So, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Well, I obviously received some really, really bogey information. You might put us out of our misery and let us know what your news is. Yeah. So, um, in about where are we? It's the twenty second of June. In in hopefully four to five weeks, I, I'm going to have a. A number of large boxes arrive at my house with uh, a, a book, which has been a, a dream of mine uh, forever. And um, it's I'm so grateful to Don Wilson and his Grant Books. They're publishing uh, 18 essays on various courses that I visited, some of which have came out um, as part of Stymied, um, the original blog. There's a few new bits in there. And, um, yeah, it's been eye-opening pulling it together and learning more about how this stuff works and how you how you put a book together I was um, I, I, I can't believe it's happening really I'm absolutely made up about it but um, and I hope people like it and I hope some people buy it otherwise we have a very congested hallway in the house for the rest of our lives but um, we'll see well you'll have a few door stops anyway to keep doors yeah open, if nothing else pretty heavy ones yeah Listen, obviously we've had you on the pod before. You were very kind to join us for Greenkeeping 101 and shining a light on the, uh, on the, I guess, untold story of the heroes of, 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 our, of our golfing lives, the Greenkeepers. Um, mm. I think probably the tenant of this particular episode is really to sort of un- uncover a, li- a little bit more about Richard Pennell, the writer. Um, you know, you've just told us your first book is about to be published. Although this isn't strictly true, though, is it? It's really your second book, which you're publishing first. Mm. Okay, I'm getting exposed here, am I? (laughs) Yes, indeed. This is all about exposure, Richard. (laughs) I should have expected it. As I said a minute ago, you need to stop hiding your light under a bushel. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, so it it is. It's... um uh, which story do you want, Shane? The long one? <laughs> well, we're here for as long as it takes, Richard. Okay, so I, um, uh, back when lockdown kicked off, I was, as you know, and a few of the listeners probably know, I was the general manager at Working Golf Club, and um, all hell broke loose with restrictions and lockdowns, and uh, we were just at the end of an irrigation project, and uh, it was uh, it was a mad time for everyone, not just for me, and I'm lucky to have a job at that time and so on. So, um, but we, uh, I started writing for the members um, on a daily basis during those first couple of lockdowns because we just wanted to keep in touch with them. We sort of the club didn't know where it was heading and what the future looked like for any of us financially and otherwise and um, I started to really enjoy it and some of the people there were definitely enjoying it too and it became a little bit of a collaborative thing for those um, who liked it and uh, it sort of awakened in me these um, long neglected feelings of wanting to write really um yeah it was a strange old period anyway without all that festering beneath the surface so i joined a, a an online writing class and i, I would get up at four thirty-five. that's the old green keeping genes kicking in there and uh, i'd write until it was time to go to work and then i'd go through these deserted streets over to working golf club um 
and sit in you know silence trying to keep things together in the office and keep the clubhouse secure and I'd go home in the evening and carry on writing and and by the end of it I I had a a book that you know uh, you've now seen some of but uh, it it remains generally under lock and key and I'm not sure it's going out there but it, it was just sort of a a way of trying to document what golf had meant to me all these years I have seen it uh, or certainly I've seen 11 chapters of it so far I have you've been very kind to share it with me um, in preparation for today and and I have to say it's it's I didn't think when I asked for it that you'd give it to me or send it to me should I say um, funnily enough I'm not surprised you have it as read only that wasn't a surprise to me but it's a triumph it really is and and, and it's it works on so many different levels and I hope it does see the light of day because it deserves to. And uh, at least we found out that uh, your publisher, you thought you'd sent it to him as a, an initial uh, taster. You didn't. So he, yeah. he can look forward to that as well. <laughs> He'll be listening, I'm sure. Look, I know what I was uh, uh, in terms of it's semantics, really, in terms of what came first or the chicken or the egg. But it's important to set the record straight in the interest of transparency. I hope you do understand. Yeah, no, I'm okay with it. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. Well, look, um, as, a, as an aside, you were very kind enough to provide me with some chronological notes to begin my preparation for this chat. And I've been pondering as to why the notes seem to be written in the third person, almost as if you're observing yourself from afar. Do you think this is anything, any relevance to this conversation, or I'm endeavouring to misattribute or psychoanalyze you, perhaps? <laughs> I couldn't even, when I, yeah, I, I I wasn't even aware they had been <laughs> shoes. Yeah. Um, pass. Okay. Right, we'll get to your writing, okay? Um, so obviously you, you, you said in your notes that you, you were fast-forwarding all over the place, so I want to bring you back from the fast-forwarding. Okay. So you always wanted to write. Uh, again... Just wondering when you actually started writing. Are we talking about 14 or 15 or are we talking post-sociology post degree? Uh, no, I actually started writing in 2020. Um, but the urge there was... So I finished my degree in 97 um, and it was there long before that. I think I, when I was about 16, 17, I was just reading books that absolutely lit me up and fascinated me and uh good literature just it has the same effect as um great art or particularly uh emotive music on me it just kind of it, it makes me feel alive so reading uh albert camus and milan kundra and stuff like that um uh when I was a teenager and it just it brought me to life it just it, I found it so inspiring and I always I think secretly thought I'd love to be able to have that impact on just one person and um, never had the bottle to do it as I put in my notes and um, uh, then when I yeah I, I didn't even admit it to myself I think it was just this quiet sort of urge in the background and I thought you know who am I to think I can do that and and it only dawned on me I think fairly recently that 
okay to to influence one person is all it really needs and lots of art only sets out to do that and set out to please everyone or, or to sell anything um great art can be just um something that affects one person positively and i worked out finally that actually the person that it would affect positively is me so the rest of them it doesn't really matter if it makes me happier or it makes my attention to detail when i'm playing golf or walking down the canal or whatever if it makes that stuff sharper makes me more in tune with this life then it's serving its purpose but it took me 25 years i guess 30 years to work that out so i actually started writing in 20 but i've been thinking about it for all of that time so it was about time i did start i think yeah well uh, for what it's worth um You've, you've touched yourself, you've touched me in, in terms of that before I started this. And I nearly did journalism uh, as, a, as a career choice or certainly as an academic choice back when I was deciding what to do. And, you know, you think back and if I'd done that, would I be here? Mm. Where would I have gone? If I did something else, greenkeeping or turf management, would I be here? Yeah, who, who knows? But I mean, you know, it's... it's um, I suppose it's the human condition, really, you know, in terms of always wondering what might have been. But the, the funny and the nice thing is you've you've found you found it. So you've actually grasped the nettle and, you know, there's surely some sort of validation in terms of obviously the, the, the fact that you have some followers and people like what you're writing. But ultimately, I think you found yourself, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's... um. I don't think I'm alone in this. I, I sort of I'm quite interested in the writing or creative process. So I, I read books and listen to people talking about this stuff when I have time, and you know it, it affects everyone. They're all the same, um, uh, even the greats like uh, um, Hemingway used to finish sentences midway through um, when he went to bed in the evening, so he knew where to start in the morning rather than look at the um, blank page in front of him. So. Um, yeah, I think everyone gets a bit of that imposter syndrome and it's normal and it's actually probably a good sign if you're scared of something. That's probably a, an indication that it's a, an avenue worth pursuing. I suppose, to, I guess, to draw it back to golf, I mean, you know, you look at um, some of the criticism perhaps that was knocking around in relation to Mr. McElroy and the final round and he threw it away and this, that and the other, you know. And... I guess in order to win something, you got to be willing to lose it. And like he said that in his post-round presser, he said, look, I'd, I'd go through Sundays like that a hundred times mm -hmm. to, win, to win it again or to win something like that again. Um, you know, it's, it's. I mean, to, to use a, a Bob Rotella-ism, in order to gain control, we got to give up control. Yeah. Yeah, there's loads of that. I've been reading... Um or just on a recent holiday, I read Bob Dylan's Chronicles and it's labelled Volume 1. It came out in 2003. Volume 2 hasn't landed yet, so maybe even Dylan has the same sort of uh, uh, self-paralysis that many of the rest of us suffer from. But um, he talks about his creative process and his writing and it's just, you know, it's non... Uh, the, the self 
isn't involved in it often it's a sort of channeling process he keeps using that word channeling and um yeah i think you just kind of have to get out your own way and it's the same in golf it's the same in my pitching as my sort of um adopted golf teacher who will no doubt listen to this keeps saying when i'm pitching i just got to get the body out of the way get yourself out of the way and it's the same with everything else i think the more we overanalyze things the more tied up in knots you get I think so this has definitely helped me in that regard I've, I've you know writing's been a terrifying process putting it in front of people um, but it's it's you know it's also been really rewarding and, and humbling and I don't know where it comes from I don't even know if it's any good myself but um, if people like it that's just lovely lovely to hear so well they do you know, and, and, and they like it in Ireland and they like it in England and the rest of the UK and America and Australia mm. and, 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 and the rest of the, I mean, they might even like it in France. <laughs> but look, um, the, uh, I, I guess, you know, it's, it's probably another golf analogy, I suppose. It's like the beginner that stands in the first tee and goes, what do people think? People don't care. So, you know, in order to, you've got to expose yourself to, to actually be the true you, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And if I could play golf a bit more, like, I keep thinking, and I have, I've never really written this piece, but I keep thinking about the provisional ball. I mean, it appears to be a rule of golf that the provisional flies straight down the middle. It's because we're slightly angry about the first one. But also, there's less fear there. It doesn't matter. So you just stand there and spank it down the middle where the first one was a nervy, twitchy uh, duck hook. Yeah, there's something to learn from that, I think. But it's taken me a very long time and I'm still not learning it. So. <laughs> there's possibly greater acceptance, you know, with the, with the second serve. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't matter as much. And that happened to me yesterday. I planned the comp in Royal Dublin and car park swing and I haven't hit it over the fence in a feckin' long time and, and, and <laughs> I block the feckin' thing a power block and I sailed up over the fence and you go oh, that's looking like five or six and I made six and, and I went to my playing partner and said you know, all your best rounds start with a six <laughs> unfortunately it wasn't one of my best rounds but I played some nice golf yeah I think that's true isn't it it's just you've instantly taken the pressure off and all you can do is attack from there yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Rory because um, it feels like he's tied up in knots when he gets in contention there. I mean, it means so much to him. And you saw that when he failed to win. You saw that in the um, uh, in the Inter Milan players the other night when they lost to Man City in the final. They have all the money in the world, those people. Um, and yet it really hurts to not win. Which is lovely. It shows the passions about winning rather than about the um, the ungodly amount of money that golfers and footballers get paid. Yeah, sometimes it's difficult to relate. Um, but, you know, I mean, they start with a love of the game and uh, be it soccer or rugby or golf or whatever else. You know, I have another confession to make because this, this is all about you really, but I have a feeling this will be a bit more personal perhaps than other um, episodes. You know, from the first time I read your musings, I was actually inspired to write again. Uh, writing isn't perhaps my very best skill. However, as I said, it is true that at one point I did consider studying journalism. 
it really doesn't f- quite flow out of me like it does out of you but you know you're responsible for that in terms of inspiring me to write again so thank you for that it's oh, great to hear it's a pleasure look enough introspection about me back to you oh damn okay <laughs> listen we, we'll go back to you worked for a you obviously you studied sociology at university any particular reason you didn't study english uh i don't know really i think so i i enjoyed sociology um i think i had a vague feeling that i'd like to go into social work which was sort of had some parallels there but it was basically a, a case of the path of least resistance um yeah i mean neither of those would particularly lead on to anything meaningful so um i was yeah, just drifting along at that age had no idea what i wanted to do um yeah and you went working for a book company after graduation is that right yeah yeah, so uh, came up to London. We, My wife and I met in Bristol University and uh, she was from London. So I came up here and we, we were living together up here. And uh, again, that was a job that was going. It was something I was vaguely interested in. Perhaps looking back, a shadow career. I mean, pretty much everyone in that first bookshop uh, had dreams of writing their own stuff. And um yeah, a chain called Books, etc., which is long gone, unfortunately. But um, yeah, so I worked in a couple of their shops for uh, three years, and I worked in their head office doing admin. And um, it was nice being around books. I've always loved books, um, uh, and I, I do read from a Kindle, but it's nothing like the the real thing. So I was sort of swerving back towards actual proper books. There's a different thing when you've got something in your hand like that. So, yes, yeah, the tactile nature of it, I suppose. It's 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 uh, it's um, it's a it's a physical physical evidence, I suppose, as opposed to uh, flipping a screen up and down with a Kindle. I don't use Kindles myself, but I I, I do I do understand the uh, the joy of a Kindle. You can load a lot of books on and, and have a lot of choice if you like. But I'm just wondering if. Uh, working for the bookshop or the book store stores shall i say did it make you more or less likely that you'd eventually become a writer i don't know i i always whenever i go into a bookshop or a library i sort of look around and i see how many books there are in the world and i, I sort of get daunted by that as if you know what on earth can what i'm thinking about or writing about have anything more to say than is already out there so I don't know. It might it might have put me off for a while in a way, um, uh, but the, the, I guess the flip side of that is in the same way that working in golf, you you find people, you sort of make friends with people who are just crazy about the game. Uh, you get that in bookshops. People, particularly the staff and the places I work, they just they loved it. They were they were a central theme of their existence these books that meant so much to them and the one you know a few of the ones i mentioned earlier they're like that i've got maybe half a dozen books that i'd um you know i dragged to a desert island given the opportunity they've been with me for years and years and and they just sort of um they become part of your identity after a while so one of them is obviously alistair cook's marvelous mania yeah it's gorgeous and my late father gave me that book which um just makes me very happy and it was the uh 
It was one of the sounds of my childhood that that sort of music piping in on. I think it was Sunday morning, wasn't it? And we'd we'd always eat as a family at Sunday lunch, and Sunday mornings were always very chilled around the house in those days. And I just I loved listening to Alistair Cook. I didn't know what he was talking about most of the time because he was a, you know, political correspondent really. But uh, when he got onto golf, and oh, you should um, flag for any of your listeners. His archives are on BBC iPlayer, and there's loads of golf stuff. Yeah, we, on there. we'll stick a we'll stick a link in the uh, in the show notes. He's just I've, I've, he took up golf, I think, at fifty or fifty five. He lived into his nineties, but from the moment he flushed one, he was absolutely hooked. Um, and just you know, days playing San Francisco and Olympic Club. I think he was a I'm not sure, actually. I think he was a member at Olympic, but he just, you know, that was his escape to get over the West Coast and and play golf with his pals, um, many of whom were pretty high up in, in golf. But um, he kept them in line, I think. And uh, he used... Uh, yeah, sorry, I could talk all day about Alistair Cook, but I love that he actually wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, we will get back to him, OK? So we're okay. dealing with you at the moment. All right. And, and, and we will get on We will get on to writing and, and the books, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I couldn't resist uh, see, seeing you light up when I mentioned the book. So. <laughs> as in, as in, as in, beg your pardon, uh, Alistair Cook's marvellous menu, that is. Yeah, I love it. You worked for uh, the book company for some years and then you fell into greenkeeping. How did that happen? Yeah, um, so we were living in South London and I was catching a train into Tottenham Court Road every morning and just on a packed train and then a packed tube and just kind of, you know, uh, you see it on the faces of lots of people heading into London. It's not the most exciting of uh, journeys or lives, really. Um, uh, I'd had enough of that. I think I needed to find something different to do and... My train went right through the middle of Mitcham Common every day, and there's a golf course there, Mitcham Golf Club, um, and that was previously Prince's. It was a pretty um, upmarket club of its time. Prince's then went down to the Kent coast, as we all know. Um, but Mitcham was left, and they, they changed the way the course set and so on. Anyway, I used to be on the train looking out the window um, and just see people playing golf and occasionally see one of the greenkeepers mowing out there and I just thought I, I was hardly playing golf it's quite hard to play golf in London it's, it's expensive and the municipals are absolutely packed and I just didn't have the time or money to throw at it in, in that period so I wrote a speculative letter to the head greenkeeper who's still there the head greenkeeper. so this was 2002 um, and six weeks later someone left and he gave me a call went and had a chat and I thought well I've nothing to lose here so um, I took a massive pay cut to do that um, and uh, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made I think I, I spent five years there um, the club were great and they sent me on training courses and I got up to HNC level which is pretty decent it's sort of you know the I guess the minimum you'd require to be a course manager. I was applying for jobs at that point and um, just so competitive in Surrey. Every um, course manager or deputy job at a larger club than Mitcham, um, there were so many applicants because there's just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of greenkeepers in the area. So 
uh, I spent five years there and I just couldn't find the next step, unfortunately, which is a shame in a way. And I do, you know, there's not a tinge of regret, but um, when I see the boys here in the morning drifting past, um, I just look back fondly on those times. I, I, there wasn't, there was, you know, there wasn't a day where I didn't appreciate being out in the fresh air and, and getting to care for a piece of land is a... It's quite hard to explain to someone who's not done it before, but it felt like a, a very meaningful and sort of old-fashioned thing to do in the way that, you know, farmers did in the past. Um, do you think it's that uh, resonance with the sense of place in terms of actually you being part of the place? That may be something to do with it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you get to know the place so well and you get to understand you know, why certain bits of land need different treatment or might need less water or... It just becomes so familiar and yet um, you're in tune with the seasons. I used to find that. I can still do that a little bit. I, I know when it's going to rain in 10 minutes and, and my wife just, you know, shrugs her shoulders and then it starts raining. You're just so in touch. And the other thing is, I think most people think, oh, wow, nice to be a greenkeeper in the summer when you're just sat on a mower uh, mowing teas. But I, I loved all four seasons. And also you got tired of mowing at just about the right time to stop mowing. So you sort of had two jobs, really, sort of spring and summer and then autumn, winter. And then when it was colder, you'd be out, you know, cutting trees and... Uh, more more manual work actually out of season which again that was part of it it, get, it kept you fit you know you could eat anything when you're a greenkeeper because you just they, you never stopped moving and Mitchum was it had a very tight budget so it was traditional greenkeeping in a sense lots of aeration uh, minimum inputs which environmentally strikes a chord with me um we would look after our machinery long beyond when anyone else would and, and some of it's still there, I know, 15, what are we, 17 years later, some of it's still knocking around, uh, it's still going. Oh, sorry, Shane, one other really important thing that I don't think anyone else gets in their day-to-day -day life. You have the tangible fruits of your labour behind. So you go out and cut a green nicely with nice straight lines and you turn around at the end of that that little job you've been given and it looks great it's such a satisfying job i love it and i'm full of respect for those people who who did what i did and then took it to another level the course managers of this world they're unsung heroes i would <clears throat> i'd like to echo that uh, sentiment uh 100 so uh, for all the uh supers and assistants and greenkeepers that i know are listening thank you from the bottom of my, of my heart as opposed to Nick Valdo saying thank you from the heart of my bottom anyway moving on you said you wrote the agronomy equivalent of Jeff Shackelford's golf architecture for normal people in your head while mowing teas just interested to know did you actually get any of this down on paper I've got stacks of notes um, and just sort of themes and stuff but yeah this was the you know, I said I'd been thinking about writing for, you know, several decades. That that was a big part of it. On Particularly in the summer season, you'd be on a tease mower for four hours or something. That's quite a lot of time 
where you can be semi-focused on the job but also thinking about landscape in the winter when it's frosty you'd walk the course move the markers and stuff and you you had a lot of time to think there's no you know hardly any screen involvement in those days um for the job i was doing anyway and um yeah i i sort of i always thought there was a gap in understanding and and i was part of that gap actually as a junior golfer and then until i started working and, and learning about turf science i was just so ignorant of it all and you know your average golfer maybe doesn't need to know uh, the ins and outs of i don't know evapotranspiration or whatever but the more i learned about it the more interesting it became to me um and i think we our, our golf courses um would all probably present a bit better if our golfers knew more about you know the challenges of green keeping and, and what helps and what hinders um and our clubs would probably be better run as well because we'd let the qualified professionals get on with it lots of places do that of course but um lots don't so yeah it always strikes me as interesting like for the last 15 years i've had numerous occasions where i go i didn't know that in a golfing context be it agronomy uh, architecture golf history hmm. um course setup and i've i've actually gone out of my way to read listen and, and search out answers to questions that I had in an effort to have a fact-based opinion as opposed to assuming that I know X, Y, and Z. I mean, it always amuses me. I mean, Alistair McKenzie said in the spirit of St. Andrews that golf club committees are best with a, an uneven number and three is too many. And needless to say, benevolent dictatorship is was possibly more prevalent and doable uh, in the 1930s and previous. But, you know, it, it's the sort of, there's another Hugh Ellison um, quote, which speaks to, you know, you, wouldn't, you don't tell your architect how to do his job or your surgeon or any other profession, but yet people rise to positions of power or certainly influence in golf clubs. And without a shadow of a doubt they're they're, they're omnipotent and invincible and i guess looking at in terms of their opinions but they're sometimes anyway based on very shaky foundations i mean why do you think i mean i guess obviously you would have as as much if not more experience of i mean look i i know these people are well-meaning but they misattribute knowledge uh or they don't know what they don't know maybe is probably a better way of putting it so um invincible ignorance as tom simpson uh, suggested <laughs> he had some classic turns of phrase tom simpson it's amazing when you're when you're when you're independently wealthy and you, you don't take money for jobs what you can say yeah i'm glad you brought up that quote um there's yeah, I think you've, I, I tend to agree with you. I think people's hearts are generally in the right place. But, um, you know, it is it is the dark arts for most golf club people. And, and we want to be able to master things. That's sort of the world we live in. And people expect to have straight answers to questions. And actually, out there, you're dealing with 150 acres of, of living plants. And you've got the... Um, 
conditions that are created not just by the with the weather that day or the week before but all sorts of stuff that goes back you know dozens of years the, the rooting or the subsoil that was put in when they built a tea or there's just so many factors or cracked drains that are, everyone's forgotten where the clay drains are it's such a complex thing i think it's a mixture of um fairly intense science like the modern course manager has to be a scientist they need to be a diplomat and a communicator um and there's there's an art to it as well like i you know, i'm not so good at it now but i could i could walk on a putting green 15 years ago and and think yeah it's it just that needs a little little tickle of feed or it, it looks a bit weak or anemic or whatever and and you'd know where needed hand watering way before it sort of turned blue and started footprinting it's a complex thing and um you know if we were in a position where um clubs trusted the professionals and there's plenty of qualifications out there by which you can gauge uh, how well equipped people are to do the job it would all go a bit easier I think I know a few people who spend a lot of time answering inane questions but that's the nature of the piece so uh, it is what it is I guess but um, just one point on uh, benevolent dictator I'm not sure he'd appreciate being called that but uh, when you and I last spoke we were trying to arrange to go to the Addington and we should go there and you've already Ryan. mentioned yeah hello Ryan <laughs> yeah, no, he's definitely listening so look i i will get a, he actually he needs to connect with me on linkedin first of all i did send him a did send him an invite and he's that's just right. ignored me but i'm sure that's just an oversight on his behalf he's too busy he's got his uh got his nose stuck in aerial yeah. photographs from the 30s or something like that that's right so i had the pleasure of playing with ryan recently over there first time i've been there in 20 years and been sort of intentionally staying away but uh it was just eye-opening how a person a single person's passion can just transform something really precious um it's going to be incredible when it's done it's already incredible it was already incredible before but he is he's on a mission and it's um uh there aren't committees to answer to as far as i know and it's just so refreshing and inspirational really it's a fantastic place god i could talk all day about the addington it's amazing but what's lovely here is it's sort of history going full circle because it it feels as if that's the sort of way abercrombie ran the place i am the suggestion book so obviously we're 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 at uh you're still green keeping and uh like any good capitalist you decided to turn your back on the green keeping gig for more money you decided to get into club management from the frying pan into the fire literally yeah well i i, I just wasn't um i was being overlooked for jobs that i could have done very well with my eyes closed and i was getting a bit miffed about that because i had i had the qualifications i think i was you know a, a decent long-term bet for some of those places and i just wasn't getting the the roles anyway i went to uh, new zealand golf club for a a fairly informal interview to join their greenkeeping team and they needed they certainly needed a bit of help I think at the time and um interview went really well and then at the end of it I um I inquired uh where the the assistant secretary was because I'd, I'd met that lady and um found out that she'd unfortunately suddenly passed away a couple of weeks ago it's just a 
terrible story and um so the secretary there um was in an you know just in the throes of trying to pull together a job description for this this role inside the office away from the all the ice and sunshine that i've been raving about to this point and i suddenly thought well i've done some of this stuff in the book trade in the head office of the the bookshop chain and i know greenkeeping and i'm pretty good with customers from being on a you know in an oxford street shop at christmas so i can cope with speaking to people and uh so we we sat back down and we sort of had another interview really and um so that was 2007 so i became their assistant secretary fantastic club chain another one you need to come visit um and I was there till 2015, then went to Royal Wimbledon for a couple of years as their assistant secretary. It was Royal Wimbledon's 150th anniversary. Um, so just an incredible time to be up there and exciting loads of events, loads of heritage that they're very um, uh, careful about protecting and they do it brilliantly. Uh, I'm, I'm there tomorrow actually. Um, and then in 2017 the opportunity to become the secretary and then developed into general manager at Woking came up and um, that was my first sort of job in charge and um, yeah that was uh, a real honour another club with a storied history and loads of architectural um, influence and loads of interesting people there John Lowe and Stuart Patton uh, the Mussolini of Woking and uh, Tom Simpson, and uh, there was a secretary there in the 50s called Monster. It's just full of characters, and it is to these day, to this day, and a few of them are blog readers, so I better be a bit careful what I say. But um, Hello to the members of Woking. <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic place. And let's not forget, every time you walk in the dining room there, Bernard Darwin's looking down at you. So it was just sort of a... A spiritual home for loads of the people who I care about in golf. So it was a you know amazing time. We've got full circle, I suppose. We're winding forward fifteen years in your notes. You were hardly playing any golf. You've lost both the love and the skill of the game and any interest in golf architecture. I'm just wondering, did life get in the way? Obviously, family, kids, wife. Um, you essentially became one of those lost well, i guess part of the lost generation in many ways you know the start families build careers and have to deal with the vagaries and vicissitudes of life i once under overheard a golf club captain suggest that golf is an old people's game i'm just wondering if you think that golf clubs in general do enough to encourage and nurture that lost generation mm. to start the families and build their careers yeah it's a tricky time isn't it it's a classic problem really so you get people are cash rich um and time rich in their early 20s and then you know that they start to buy a house or the first kid comes along or or they're getting married and there is so often the case that there you get calls or emails in people's early 30s saying this just doesn't make sense and they, they it's a shame to lose those people because they will come back in 10 years and I guess I'm uh, I'm 48 and my 
daughter's 13 and son's 11 and they're just starting to swing clubs a bit and um you know that's just drawing me back to golf even more so i think and also even if they weren't playing i have more time you know they're, they're sort of in in upper schools now and um yeah got off i don't know the answer because you it's, it's tough to ask clubs to put that sort of stuff on hold when there's other people queuing up to come in but i, I do think there's an opportunity to gain loyalty there if you hang on to someone and just you know i don't know i don't know the answer but i know it's a it's a common problem and it was the same for me it was um uh, not only did I not really have enough time to play golf because of the things you've mentioned, which, are, you know, they absolutely come first and they continue to, but um, uh, I I think by working in it, it was sort of a busman's holiday thing. I, I just completely lost my mojo, I guess. And then um, after three years at working and uh, lots of stuff in that time lots of really good stuff um to get my teeth into and most of it positive um covid comes along it's funny i i didn't mention in my note actually but i went away with a friend who probably also listened to this so hello lukey uh, we went away on a golf trip in March 2020 to Nevin, where I'd been as a kid. My dad had carried my bag there. He never played golf, my dad, but he'd uh, caddied for me up on these rugged cliffs in North Wales. Anyway, Luke and I went away there. He's a he's an inspirational golf coach who lives quite near here. And um, we played speed golf. We played... Um, uh, foursomes we played with hickories we played on the beach we we were rock climbing in between shots on the coastline um on the way home we climbed up a mountain with the golf clubs and hit a few shots with a sponge ball over the top it was just a real adventure and the whole idea of that was to rekindle that interest in the game hitting balls on the beach was magical because i'd done that as a 12 year old or whatever it's really good for your ball striking by the way and um yeah, so I, I sort of felt that this was a turning point, an intentional trip I'd been on to trigger this love of the game and see if I could get back into it, because uh, I was hardly ever playing and just playing awfully as a result of that. Uh, and anyway, uh, what were we, two or three days in North Wales, like the curry shop, shop was shut. Uh, and the sign on the door said due to COVID-19 and then we, we hadn't even been listening to the radio so there'd been a bit of talk about uh, this um, disease I guess uh, oh, sorry infection in the weeks leading up to it but I, I don't think any of us anticipated the way it was going to go anyway while we were up there the sort of news broke that we were locking down in two days so I came home from that trip you know absolutely buzzing for golf and then I wasn't able to play it for weeks on end. <laughs> so, yeah, funny timing. It, it was, and, you know, we're, we're talking, obviously, March 2020, um, just after Cheltenham, um, just around St. Patrick's Day. Obviously, it's, uh, in a European context, it, it was all hell was breaking loose in Italy. Mm -hmm. um, I remember returning from... a. Uh, a trip to Australia actually at the end of January 2020 and obviously it was rife in, in Asia at the time and uh, a pal 
in the member in Royal Adelaide, Sam Chen. If you're listening, Sam, hello. Sam is a dentist, and he went to me, do you want to call up to the surgery, and I'll have a few masks for you. And they're going, what do we need that for, you know? And he goes, well, if you go to Asia and you're passing through Hong Kong, Asia's out of surgical masks. So you, so he sorted me out with a few bits and pieces and gloves and whatever else. And again, I still, still thought nothing of it. And you, know, you arrive in, in uh, Kai Tak or Chepla Kok or whatever it's called, the the airport in Hong Kong, and literally everybody's masked up. Now there would be anyway. In in if there's any any sort of outbreak of anything there, they they kind of do outbreaks quite well over there, generally. But. Um, I even remember getting back on the Cathay flight when we were met at Heathrow by a representative of the Department of Health. And essentially all they did was they talked to the, the purser and they said, is everybody okay? Anybody sick? And the answer was no. And off we went. So <laughs> God knows how many people potentially had whatever they had. Um, I was in a serious hurry to make a BA flight connection to, to Dublin. And the rest is history, as they say. Um, but during that time, you were working seven days a week. That's some commitment. Well, there, there, there was work to be done. We, um, you know, we took sensible decisions. I think with uh, many of the staff, we we were down to a skeleton team, and we had an old clubhouse full of trophies and um, you know other historic artifacts that needed protecting and um, sort of you've not been to working either yet Shane but there's footballs that run all through the property and so there were people everywhere and it just needed someone on site uh, and that wasn't easy and I didn't carry the burden by myself there were other people involved to whom I'm you know eternally grateful because my wife was at home trying to homeschool two children and and no none of us knew what on earth was going on but um i was working in one way or another either in a in a sort of silent empty clubhouse and you could hear the silence because a working is just so used to hearing a couple of noises typically you hear bottles opening uh, you hear laughter shortly after the bottles open and occasionally you hear golf balls hitting the the structure from outside so <laughs> none of those were there although you know there were probably days when I could have done with opening a bottle or two in the office but I didn't but um did you, you didn't get stuck into the cummel or anything like that no no I should have hit the wine cellar actually and hindsight's a oh, powerful yeah. thing but I, I'm not sure it would have helped <laughs> is there a is there a decent uh, a decent tipple to be had in walking yeah yeah they they, they like their uh, they like their wine there um and yeah yeah Claret is probably the colour of choice, is it? Yeah, they have a few uh, New World wines on there as well. Yeah, it's a okay. you know it's just a big part of golf in this country, and it? it's sort of um, wine and Kimmel and um, things like uh, Gunner, Gunners, and yeah. So, yeah, it was a weird time, but it, I think in a way, getting up early in the morning to do the writing class I was doing, which was online and writing mulligan that you've now read 11 chapters of it's um it kept me sane and um and that together with the the lockdown letter project i was doing for the members were just kind of you know it, it was nice it was positive stuff in in the strangest time that hopefully the strangest time we'll live through um yeah so your lockdown letters kind of morphed into 
stymied, yeah? Yeah. So stymied didn't start until just before Christmas 21. So I sort of messed around with a bit of non-golfy writing, but I, I... the the lockdown stuff I'd done at the golf club I'd really got the bug for that and um, uh, it was sort of quite interactive a lot of it was nonsense uh, you might say that a lot of the current stuff's nonsense but it was curated a bit from various places like club history and stuff people were sending in and photos and you know updates on what the staff were doing with their incredible amount of spare time while I was in the office writing this garbage out for everyone um so yeah it did morph into stymied um a shout to Sam Williams actually from Cookie Jar because I sort of you know I had I I may be jumping ahead here no, no, no. Actually, my, my fault. My fault. I, actually, you probably are, actually. If Sam was in the notes, he's still in the notes. And if we haven't got to him, he's still there. So, okay. He'll uh, have Sam to is, Sam is a good man. And you know what? I was giving out the other day that they ignore me. They've started following me. So thanks, boys. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, uh, what they say? Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> okay. Well, I won't spoil that particular one, so... So if we just go back to Mulligan for a second, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for you sharing it with me. Um, you know, you're still grappling with whether it's going to leave the sanctity of your top drawer. Uh, there has been progress. Obviously, I'm now reading it, at least. I know a few people have, so, and I'm peer reviewing it. And I have to say, you have some way with words. You, you, you paint vivid pictures with words. And actually, I was drawn just even the first chapter now admittedly I had three hours sleep uh, the night before when I was reading it but you actually transported me to the first teen walking which is and and the colour and the textures and the it's just so vivid yeah thank you Shane it's lovely to hear Uh, I've told you you know I've I've barely looked at that well I don't think I have looked at it for over a year I just got so close to it and I sort of felt it was uh, worth something it was definitely worth something even if it stays in that drawer it was worth a lot to me to have done it so it, it it's um yeah it was a process and i really enjoyed it you actually lay yourself bare very much and it. it's 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 raw and it's personal and actually it works on so many different levels that that you know, if you don't know a huge amount about all the stuff that you're talking about, architecture and psychology and whatever else, it still works as a story. Uh, but actually, if you do know, it's actually even all the richer because actually you're you're plucking strings, if you like, and there's a resonance to it. So, look, don't be afraid of it. It's it's a masterpiece. Oh, thank you, Shane. That means a lot. I haven't even finished it yet, so I haven't even got. To, I haven't even got to the 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 eighteenth hole. I haven't even got to the twelfth hole. Let alone anyway. uh, the 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 last chapters are awful. <laughs> I thought the first eleven chapters were shit, but anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Uh, come here. Uh, I I know that I know it makes you feel somewhat uncomfortable. So we're going to move move on, right? So you had an epiphany one morning or afternoon, perhaps while out playing deal. You had enough of the leaky roof, the electrical fault of an ancient clubhouse. Obviously, Woking is a special place, but you had nothing to move on to. But said that the feeling was like holding a bunker shot. A slank port, I'm sure, is a grand place to have an epiphany. If you're listening, Logue, that's quite a, a clean joke. 
he had a joke with me recently, or not recently, I was on the Good Good podcast and I mentioned Epiphany and he goes, there's something dirty in there. There's nothing dirty at all, right? So Sangport was the catalyst. I'm wondering if there's a specific shot or hole that stands out that made you say, fuck it, I'm done with that. Yeah, I don't know. It was So I'd been thinking about it. And actually, I think the moment that um, made me think, actually, I need to, I need a fresh start. I need to get out of here. Nothing wrong with working as an amazing club. Um, but I, I, COVID had just battered me, I think. Uh, and working through that, I, I needed a change of direction. Uh, but I didn't know what it was. So it was a, it was a questionable move to quit a job like that with nothing to go on to. Uh, and the jury will, you know, at some point work out whether it was the right thing to do. But um, I remember having a dream when I was on holiday where my boss at Mitchum, Head Greengibber at Mitchum, I just realised in the dream that he was the happiest person I think I know. And um, that was a mad moment there because he'd done the job that he always wanted to do and he was really good at. And I somehow woke up thinking about writing and whether this job that I was doing was whether I wanted to do it anymore. And it gradually became more likely that the answer was no um, and that I needed at least a break from that. And uh, so we, there was four of us, three good friends at um, Royal Sinkports. And I think I was standing on the 12th tee just in the sun watching these three stripe it off the... Uh, oh, no, we played foursome, so I must have been... Yeah, two, two of us played off and, and we just kind of walking up the fairway and the skylarks in the, in the sky above and constant symphony that you get down there of the skylarks and the sun's beating on our backs and we're just laughing, we're just having fun and I, I just thought, God, it's so long um, since I felt this relaxed on a golf course and, I, and on the drive home I was thinking about it I thought it's, it's because I'm, I'm sort of, I'm stuck in a rut so I've got to climb out of the rut to work out if it's the right rut and which way to move forward so yeah, it's funny, 12th tee, have you been to Deal? You know what, the, the furthest south in the UK that I've played would be Hillside. Oh, okay. That's not very south. <laughs> no, because Hillside, Hillside is just further south than Birkdale, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, that's, it, the, that's the furthest south I've played. It's another place you need to go. But the 12th tee at Deal is the point at which you turn back towards the clubhouse and you're pretty much straight into the prevailing wind from then on. And it's so much fun and it's so, so beautiful and it's such a authentic Lynx experience. I love that it's there, but I, I remember standing there and just smiling and thinking, you know, I don't do enough of this smiling or playing golf or being with friends or I'm sort of living a shadow life, I guess. So, yeah, interesting moment. So so now we move on to your your contact with Sam um, at the Cookie Jar podcast and you send him a message or wrote him a little email and you said I've been writing a little and uh did you send him something because he he yeah yeah so I called I called him because uh, I just want to pick his brains about golf content and whether there was anything I could get into 
along those lines or whether I could help them in any way. And um, it's funny, he answered his phone. I said, are you busy? Have you got time for a chat? And he was on, like, I can't remember, he was on the 7th or something at Blackwell. So clearly he had his priorities in line because he was out playing golf in the sun. Anyway, he said, well, I'll have a look, you know, that's, it's just send it over, whatever. Typical Sam, he's just, you know, really positive um, guy and he's been, uh, he's been great, actually. He's a star. So I sent him a couple of bits and he came back very quickly and said, I really like this, uh, send, send me some of this, you know, properly. So I sent him a piece called Rank Outsider, which a great fault to the cookie jar crowd. They put it on their website. And um, again, that, that just fear of being out there and having something out in public. But it, it, I think it, I'm quite fond of that piece. It's about sort of not giving a damn about rankings and um, just rating things on how much joy they give you I think rather than on what sort of metric you can apply to something totally subjective so anyway I thought the moment he said okay we're going to push this out on Monday I thought damn you know I need to follow up on this because they have an audience so um Stymied started at that point and um for a period was I was doing them every day um can't remember how many I did I, I think in the first year I did 91 posts and they were a mix of places I'd been which is what makes up the um, collection that's going to be called grassroots um, but also more sort of um, vague reflections on the game which I, I also really enjoy writing them and they sort of remind me a bit of Alistair Cook's stuff you know he was very good at seeing the the quirky side of the game or the frustrating nature of it. So, yeah, grateful to Sam. It it, it started stymied, really, and I, you know, I still can't believe anyone reads them, to be honest, but um, it serves a purpose for me because it brings me closer to the experience of playing these places. I, I couldn't live in a better place uh, in terms of world-class golf. There's so much, and not just world-class golf, actually. Um, but the, there's so much great golf within a few hours' reach of, of London area. So, Yeah, we need to get, uh, get the troll farm uh, revved up properly so we can increase the number of subscribers. I'm only, obviously only joking. <laughs> All right, so, so uh, yeah, you, you were like a demented ferret, uh, uh, basically whacking a, a, load of, um, a load of blog posts in terms of stymied and you, you know, the, the, the productivity that you were... You were pushing forth into the world was quite miraculous to be honest with you your first uh, and then then of course in similar fashion to me i think uh our good friends rod murray and adrian Lowe told you what are you doing just chill out stop writing so much you know you, you can just take <laughs> your time you know the, the stuff is good you don't need to be doing it daily like well i obviously write daily but don't publish it daily because you might run out of stuff yeah I, there's no danger, I don't think, in the short term of me running out of stuff. I, I have lists upon lists of random <laughs> ideas and stuff. So it's more a case of trying to eat healthily so I, I have time to write it all, you know, <laughs> try to extend my life so I can get round to the bottom of that list. 12, 12 months on, uh, so we're probably talking November 22. Would that be right? It's you send a few there. blog posts to... Mr. D.M. Wilson III, the publisher of Grand Books. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we, we've got to know each other pretty well. And, uh, you know, I'm just wondering what prompted you to contact Mr. Wilson, um, the publisher of Grand Books, as I said. 
it seems very much out of character from what I know about you. Yeah, I was what in that it was a sort of forward action. Yeah, Pro- yeah. proactivity. You, you strike me as somebody that procrastinates. That, oh, that, massive. That, 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 that actually ruminates on things. So you're a bit like a cow that's trying to digest grass. You know, you take your time and <laughs> you might belch it back up and give it a bit more of a chew. And, you know, they have four stomachs. You only have one. Yeah, no, you're right there. I, I procrastinate about most things. And, um, yeah, it does. I, I'm not sure what sort of mood I was in that day. I don't know. But I was aware of grant books. They just publish wonderful golf books i've no idea how the business works as a you know as an entity but um uh, i know they don't cut corners on stuff i'd seen a few of their books history of the rna was in the working library and it's just incredibly well put together and and you, there's just when you play a great golf course and, and it's well looked after you can sort of tell there's i don't know love in the air that people deeply care about it i always got that vibe about grant books anyway so i sent this speculative thing off as we um i think you mentioned after we started recording i only found out the other day when we spoke and i was trying to find mulligan to send to you that i never actually sent it to him so (laughs) which is classic Uh, i probably procrastinated about that anyway i sent him a couple of blog posts and he came back and we've had uh, a number of phone calls and a great many emails to and fro and also with his the uh, publishing house that put the stuff out or create the um, the books that grant books deliver into the golfing public's hands and the whole thing has been magical from start to finish um, from my perspective anyway <laughs> possibly you need to ask him uh, how it's been from his but um, it's just been lovely and people talk about um, publishing a book is an absolute nightmare and I always thought it can't be that bad uh, and actually I think it probably is most of the time but in this occasion with these people it's just been joy complete joy dream come true I know you've uh, obviously you've probably procrastinated over what images to use and getting sign off for use of images and whatever else but how's that been in terms of just putting the finishing touches to it yeah it's been good it's these things always take longer than you expect but um i'm very grateful there's um a couple of the clubs have contributed images themselves there's a few of mine in there um which hopefully don't stick out like a sore thumb and i've got um a couple of really great photographers have um permitted me to use some of their stuff I should mention Jason Livy and Kevin Murray just gorgeous photos that those two have permitted me to include so and Grant Books and particularly Mr Wilson you know it was their push to include more images that wasn't the original plan Um, but as time went on we were sort of I don't know the whole thing sort of snowballed so um, uh, you've seen a few um, bits of the proof it's just you know leaving the words aside because i can't judge that bit the actual thing itself is going to be beautiful and i did say to my i did say to my wife you know we there's a chance we might just live the rest of our lives with these boxes in the hallway and she said it's going to look beautiful anyway there's no chance of that richard there's no chance of that i mean this is presumably the first of a few appearances you're going to have you're going to be a man in demand and I would wager that your book is going to go pretty quickly. 
because yeah. there's a, there's a there's a small but not insignificant number of people that are cheering from the sidelines and uh, you know are only too hopeful of helping you or a great uh, well uh, sorry they're only too keen to help you but also they're they're cheering from the sidelines and they're proud of you. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you very much, Shane. Not a problem. Oh, so we, we know what the book is. When you see, so you're expecting it within a couple of weeks. Uh, I think it'll be late July the way it's going. So just just about uh, on soft proof, which will be an electronic mock-up of exactly what it'll look like. It's going to come in a so it's a quite large format um, softback, but it'll come in a, um, a slip case, which again is just gorgeous. So it's got a really nice photo on the front. I won't tell you where the photo is from because we need to come on to that. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. got a, just a really smart slip case. Uh, it's, it's 18 chapters of visits I've been on, some of which blog readers will have seen on the blog, and I'm not going to remove them from the blog. I, you know, it's, it's a different thing. It's a book, but it's also got couple of new chapters the first one is um deal and that sort of game where i thought damn i need to make a change here um there's a prologue and epilogue and there's a, a new final chapter of somewhere i just completely fell in love with um and there's a yeah there's a bit of a story there at the end so yeah so late july early august um i'm i need to set up a website for it so i can sort of automate some of the purchases were there to be any um and you will be getting a copy in the post if you send me your address shane and i'll write in it well thank you i just hope have you, have you got i've got your profile picture in there as well or have you left that off I, I pulled that one out after someone so rudely abused it shane i got <laughs> no it's not in there Somebody suggested that you looked like a young Stephen Hawking. I wonder who that was. That was me, unfortunately. <laughs> Richard, R- Richard, for those that don't know, Richard was recently published in episode, uh, volume seven of the McKellar Journal, uh, a lovely little essay on, uh, on uh, Mr. James Pledge, who is uh, now the head greenkeeper, course manager, superintendent, or whatever it is. He, James, sorry, I'm butchering your title, of the open host of 2023 Royal Liverpool but the essay uh, covers his parting gift I suppose from uh, St. Portia yes yeah that's part of it yeah it's sort of about honours boards in general but the the spark of it came from um, a lovely story actually I mean James had been down there 10 years and I was a member throughout that period and he just transformed um, Deal it's always been a top class golf course but the conditioning down there just went through the roof and um, uh, he's a lovely guy and a sort of purist in terms of technology and um, presentation anyway when he left so he got this job at Hoylick which you know gets him closer to Scotland and um, is what an opportunity to host the Open Um, uh, instead of getting him some cheesy leaving present, they made him a proper um, oak honours board with uh, all the championships and events that he'd hosted there on it as a thank you. And there's this, I've seen a picture of him trying to carry it out of the clubhouse at the end of his leaving do. It didn't look as if it was going too well, but <laughs> yeah, just lovely story. It's better than a card. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. a voucher, <laughs> you know what I mean? 
it's something tangible and, and I'm sure he treasures it and I just hope he has a wall big enough in Liverpool to hang it off yeah yeah and God, my my edition of that McKellar uh, number seven arrived this morning I can't tell you I, I'm just absolutely made up to be in there I, I had the pleasure of meeting Tom Dunn when he was over a, a few years ago and, and we met and managed to arrange some golf and so on and he just a total gent and what they are doing supporting independent journalism is meaningful and I, you know I just wish I wish more people read it really it's um but that will come I guess in time you don't do something yeah. that good and get ignored forever so no you, you don't and certainly I, I stuck the uh, McKellar link in the last show notes and it'll be going in again yeah. Lawrence I'm doing my bit for you Tom I'm doing my bit for you and who knows I might have you on as well to, to plug it a little bit more I'm sure you'd be delighted to come on but look um, before we move off grassroots uh, obviously you're going to set up the website in, in due course we will stick the link in there uh, for the pre-order and whatever else um, we've obviously been trying to figure out how to, to mark this a little bit and, and we've actually got a free copy to give away to um, to a, a lucky winner right so the only thing you shared with me Richard is actually the front page and the back page so the, the, the cover sleeve but I believe there's a photograph on is the front or the back page uh, right, of the sleeve itself yeah no it's on the it's on the outer of the sleeve okay so what we're going to do is we're going to post um on the firm and fast golf podcast twitter and instagram the picture and the first person to tell us where it is with the correct answer wherever you are in the world will receive one of the first copies of uh grassroots scribbled in by mr panel yeah lovely. so keep an keep an eye out for that and thank you very much for 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 doing that it's much lovely. appreciated you're welcome thank you so so we tra we we're moving swiftly on to um golf writing and we touched upon your reading and your inspiration Mr. Alistair Cook and the Marvellous Mania. I'm conscious that we're verging into the territory formerly occupied by one Mr. Adrian Logue of the Book Club. Yes, Logue, still haven't seen that bloody thing on, 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 on Simpsons book. But anyway, thankfully, that particular baton has been taken on by Stephen Proctor and Jim Hartzell uh, from the Marvellous Duffer's Literary Companion. That's so ably fronted, as I said, by our friend, friend the pod, Stephen Proctor, and his... Uh, his co-host, uh, uh, Jim Hartzell. George Plimpton once suggested that there is a relationship in sports writing between a smaller ball and better writing. So I suppose if we look at, you know, through the annals of, of golf writing, you know, your Horace Hutchinson's, your Charles Darwin's, your Henry Longhurst, your Alistair Cook's, your Peter Thompson's, Peter Dobriner, James Finnegan, Bradley Klein, obviously, Stephen Proctor, Roger McStravick, Mike Clayton. We can go on, but, you know, and, and the great publications like McKellar Magazine, The Golfer's Journal, what was the Caddy Magazine, and now Contours, Contours Golf, Will Watt, Jeff Shackelford with the quadrilateral, Bill Fields and the Albatross. Jamie, like, there's just so much to sink your teeth in, both books-wise. I mean, probably the, the days of, of, of print journalism, quality print journalism is over, but, you know, those guys are still available in terms of subscriptions and blogs and whatever else. I mean, it's 
if you go looking for it, it's there. Yeah. Yeah, and what I find really interesting, and by the way, at Duffer's Literary Companion, I devoured the first two editions on the way to and from the Addington the other day, and they just Stephen and Jim are doing a great job there. It's, it, I, I loved it. Um, and I really like the fact that they're reading from this stuff because I think there's a... You know, we don't all have time to sit down in a chair and read these things cover to cover. But if you can, if you can snip into them here and there, and um, I think having stuff read, whether it's podcasts or audiobooks or whatever, is quite a valuable thing for that. Um, but yeah, yeah, that I, I like that so much of this stuff. And John Lowe's another one. I've obviously got a soft spot for Bernard Darwin and John Lowe from the Working Connection, but. How could I have possibly forgotten Mr. Lowe? Yeah. Uh, Bob Crosby is turning over. Mr. Lowe's <laughs> turning over in his grave. Yeah, Bob would be fuming about that. Um, Sorry, so, Bob. <laughs> so much of what they wrote quite a long time ago now is still completely relevant. Obviously, Lowe wrote quite a lot about the golf ball. and But, um, yeah, being... I love the old stuff, but there's there's equally lots of really great stuff being written at the moment. I've got um, I've got a queue of books actually that I need to find time to read. So I'm looking forward to my next holiday. But I've got um, uh, Peter Thompson's book that Mike Layton kindly organised me getting hold of. Um, I haven't a life in golf. Yeah, that's yeah, really good. I'm looking I'm, at it here. It's a really good read. I've only I've only dipped into that. I've got. Um, uh, Shacklefoot's new one which I can't wait to read and I'm sort of mm. jealous that he's written that one actually because that, that was always on my radar as a possible let's, theme let's mention, let's, let's mention the title again please you're, just, you're mentioning names and not oh, yeah. book, book names so, so the golf, golf architecture for normal people like Jeff Shackleford yeah yeah, which is his latest and, and some, I've, I've read several of his uh, previous books and they're great uh, yeah I've just Stephen Proctor um, I, I I can't wait to read his his latest book, and the same with Jim Hartzell. They're they're there just waiting. I'm, I'm just uh, getting through other stuff. The Long Golden Afternoon is Stephen's book, and yeah. Jim's book is for the life of me. He's going to shoot me. Sorry, Jim. Um, I'm trying to do this in memory. I've yet. I, I, it's it's on it's on things to buy as opposed to I've not bought it. So not yet. I've, again, I, I've, I'm I'm out the door with books to read as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's uh, you've given a pretty solid list of places to start there. But I, I think the Duffer's Literary Companion will be interesting because it, it just sort of it will touch on other people. I'm looking forward to the one on the um, sort of American descendants of Darwin um, to come. And yeah, I think you're right. There's uh, there's still plenty coming out that's great um, and. Things when, like when revelation comes, when when revelation That's comes, it. is is, uh, is uh, Jim's new book. That's it. Wonderful. It came from me like a bolt from Google. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, I can't wait to read that. So, and I think Plimpton's right. You know, it, there is the smaller the ball, the better. The writing seems about right to me. Um, Who was Plimpton, by the way? So he was. I think he was a pretty. Um, he was a journalist. Uh, I can't remember who. He might have been. No, I'm, I'm not going to guess. I can't remember. But I, I think he wrote about 
lots of different sports. But didn't he try and play on the tour? I read one of his books ages ago. I think he tried to play with some of the tour players. Um, oh, that leads me on to something else. Who's not on this list? And a really good friend of mine who I'm playing with tomorrow at Royal Wimbledon um, uh, mentioned him and said, have you not read Price? And so Charles Price, or Charlie as he was known, um, was a really interesting, he was a very good player and then he was a career golf journalist in the States travelling from tournament to tournament in the era of Hogan a little bit before Hogan and a little bit after and um, so this friend's lent me um, Price's book oh god Shane, I'm not going to remember the name of that either now let me look it up I have it somewhere, uh, it's, a green, it's a green cover I think yeah, um, I'll, and I'll it, try and I'll try and I'll try and cover for you here while you Google. It's a green cover. <laughs> I can see the it's a paperback. The copy I have, it's not it's not immediately obvious. It could be fucking any anywhere. Hopefully, I haven't lent it. Is it's it? It's the golfer at large, isn't it? There you go. Yeah, yeah. Golfer yeah, at large. So. It's just fantastic. And so this friend, who's ah. you know heavily into his um, golf writing, he said, "You've got to read him. He's the best." And I. I, I'm fine. That's the exact cover. Ah, oh, just it's it's magical. I tell you what's really lovely about that is another long friend in golf um, uh, who we met through Golf Club Atlas. And funnily enough, we played our first game at Woking. He tried to convince me to take some wild mushrooms home to uh, cook, and my wife thought, "Well, you don't. Where do you meet this guy on the internet?" So. Um, he, I remember he had a post on the, or a quote on the bottom of one of his Golf Club Atlas posts um, from Charles Price saying, uh, uh, I'm something like I'm listening to Beethoven. Um, if you've got something more interesting to say than him, then I'll let you have a go. Something like that. I've completely butchered it. You might need to edit that out, Shane. I've just kind of ruined uh, Price's quote. Anyway, I'd always loved that quote, but I never knew where it came from or who Charles Price was. So that, reading that has been a total revelation. Uh, he's brilliant and he's so funny. And he would have torn into the... So you're playing with him at Royal Wilbur? Yeah, not Charles Price, but the guy who's lent me the book. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. Is Charles Price still alive? No, no, unfortunately. I think he smoked like a trooper, so... Oh, um, well, um, he, he's, he's got a very interesting... Um, uh, for, well, uh, uh, what do they call it when you put something at the front of the book? It says, To George Fazio, who wouldn't let me pick up. <laughs> There's a story there. <laughs> pick what up, though? <laughs> That's the question, isn't it? Um but yeah, look, there's uh, there's a ton of stuff there for anyone that's interested. Obviously, going right the way back from Hutchinson to uh, to Bill Fields and Jeff Shackleford and everything in between. And look, mm -hmm. I'll stick some I'll stick some links in the show notes for for those that might be interested in, in finding out a bit more about any of those people. There's 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 well there's eating and drinking on on that particular list. But does that does anything jump out to you there in terms of anybody you'd like to have a chat a chat about or talk about or muse about perhaps um i just i i love bernard darwin he just wrote so much and it's really his sense of adventure i admire you know he he was writing quite a lot of stuff in a time when people were getting a bit less 
adventurous with their golf courses so blind shots were being phased out and courses changed as a result and like we all understand architecturally it's not ideal to or or fair to have blind shots but he had a real sense of adventure about him which came from his sort of victorian era i guess but um and a romance and you could tell he just he, he just wrote with uh love proper love about these places and um yeah uh it comes through and it, when you go and walk in his footsteps i'm i'm at ride next monday uh, which i'd love to death and uh you know i'll go and quietly spend a minute sitting in his armchair if no one's looking and um uh peering over the the uh railway tracks at Abu Dhabi. it's hard to not walk in his footsteps and and think um you know how much he's left behind how many people have enjoyed golf more as a result of his writing i think he was wonderful i'll come, i have an idea related to darwin but i'll come on to that well, later no i it well, fits in okay well, that's fine well look we are we are moving into future plans and obviously the expectation is that grassroots will fly off the shelves as it should um and uh so what's next um, you know, you've relaunched the blog, which is great, and you're doing that on every Sunday. So, please subscribe to at, at Pitchmarks on Twitter. Is it available anywhere else? Obviously, it's on your sub Substack blog, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, what else? Uh, I, you know, it's a total thrill to be in McKellar, as we've mentioned. Um, I I hope I can do more of that stuff. I, I think I'll probably be lucky enough to get at least one more in McKellar and uh, other magazines I mean that's my preference because I just I love everything about it the way it's written and so on um, doing a little bit of sort of opinion piece stroke course review stuff for Golf Today which is one of the nicer websites out there and uh, we're just exploring at the moment what direction that might go in um, and that's Chris Bertram yeah no, no, it's... Um, Thank your pardon. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, no, so it's... Uh, golf Today's a... Um, uh, that's today's golfer. Golf Today's a, um, a platform. It goes right across. It has opinion pieces. It has tour news. It has equipment reviews, travel, course reviews. And I think probably the travel and course reviews are the bit where I can um, perhaps play a role. So that's quite exciting. Yeah. And it's a different... I was never very good at maths. <laughs> uh so there's that um and the blog will hopefully you know I'm, I'm trying to tweak it and do something different uh, i don't want people to feel as a mate said as if they they feel they've played this course already i want to keep going to new places and writing in a you know in a fresh way um uh it doesn't help that i can't remember half of what i've already written so there probably is some repetition there and then book ideas goodness me um i have a separate list for those and i've so many but the, the one i was sort of uh contemplating talking about there and it just, they come in the weirdest places shane these ideas it's quite often in the shower it might be running down the canal on my way home um i i'm not alone in this and the uh, Duffer's literary companion, you know, proves that Darwin's golf courses of the British Isles has been just such an important part of this um, golfing literary history. 
and it had those gorgeous paintings in by Roundtree. Yeah. yeah, which are just they they add so much to it. Um, which, as a complete aside, just as you mentioned them, there's actually a limited edition uh, set of prints actually taken from the originals that Jasper Miners has uh, available to purchase on a value 18. I saw that. So if anybody, they're small, but they're oh so well proportioned. And if anybody has not seen them, like all of the, and there's actually, I think it's three for the price of two or something like that offer on as well. So we stick a a link to that as well, given the fact that Jasper's a friend of the pod as well. They're, They're just exquisite. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, I loved your your catch up with Jasper. It's classic. Um, it was it was loose as <laughs> we had a great time. Mind you, he was he was lying in bed swilling Karoon, whatever the hell that is. Yeah, I wasn't sure what that was. I had to look that up. Um, anyway, the golf course of the British Isles, and it's been republished and so on. But I just got this sort of vague idea um, circulating in my head of going to revisit those places stepping in darwin's footsteps and sampling seeing what they're like these days through the modern lens and um you know harking back to the times when he visited and sort of maybe make it vaguely biographical as well at the same time and where roundtree's gorgeous images came in maybe do that in a different way and have some sort of more um interesting photography of these places i don't know that that was a fairly random thought that but um the the project of going to go to those places he went to and see them through his eyes and absorb how he felt when you you know read those bits while i'm at the venues i found that quite interesting well, need, needless to say, Port Murnock and Royal and Dolly Mount, as it's called, but Royal Dublin are both uh, are both mentioned in uh, Darwin's 1907 opus. Yeah. So if I could be of any assistance to facilitate both Royal Dublin and Port Murnock, I'm quite happy to do that. Wonderful. That's a date. Thank you. Um, what else? Uh, so you're working your way through Mulligan. I, I have an idea around a, a sort of similar book, really, based through 18 holes at Muirfield. I've been there twice in the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I waited 30 years to go to Muirfield. And when I first went there, I played hickory speed golf and I was well under an hour, which isn't that much faster than the typical foursome round there. But I went back recently and had a, you know, was lucky, had a proper tour from uh, one of the members who's just uh, who's the recorder actually at the club um, just lovely man and um, so that's um, percolating in the background um, Shackleford's golf architecture for normal people you know when I was sitting on Teesmo's back in Mitcham I had in mind some sort of book that explored turf science in a non-scientific way and uh, so that's that's something I would like to do if it helped people. Um, and you, you've seen a bit of that in Mulligan, so, you know, I, I don't know quite where that goes. Um, and then long players is something that I, that's the sort of idea that I'm just quite interested in the notion of... Uh, I, I love the experience of the new, going to visit places for the first time. I've got a couple coming up. I'm really excited about Piltdown. I've never been there. Western Gales. Um, Pel- Piltdown, is that not what Pilt. happens when the rain falls out of the sky? No, no. <laughs> Pilt, Pilt, Piltdown. Piltdown. Yeah, I, I got you. I got you. Sorry. 
Um, that voice of yours luxuriating over words. <laughs> so I had this, I, I quite like, and I'm having it with West Byfleet at the moment, the experience of just getting to know a place and you play it again and again and again. And over three visits, 10 visits, 50 visits, you just kind of, you get to appreciate the subtlety of the design. And that's happening here at the moment for me. I absolutely love it. And, I've, you know, I've had a half dozen great golf courses over my lifetime where I've got to know them really well Deals one obviously working New Zealand Wimbledon uh, they, they just give more and more uh, and I think there's there's something in that and it sort of to me chimes in with great albums no one listens to albums anymore they just have a you know an app on their phone that chucks up whatever it works out you want to listen to but I love the getting a, a vinyl record out and sticking it on and putting a needle on carefully and listening to what the artist intended. And I think that's what you get with a golf course, a great golf course, is you, you sort of tune into what your Simpsons and Abercrombies and Colts of this world were, were all about. Uh, it's like layers of an onion, I think. So there, that'll keep me busy. Well, certainly, uh, and, and no doubt there's a few other ideas percolating through that bonce of yours. But anyway, uh, look, I, I know we've kind of spoken about this um, offline, as it were, and and I guess the where we find ourselves now at times could be a rather lonely part-time escapade um, in terms of writing and um, podcasting. And appreciation comes in many forms. And I guess I was struck, sorry, I had a conversation with a, a good mate of mine from Adelaide uh, when I was in Hilversum actually over my last day on the trip to the Netherlands. He said to me, how are you gonna make money out of this? Like you're, you're investing a lot of time and effort and research and experience and, you know, in, in, and money and hardware and, you know, whatever else I mean you know that conversation sort of led me to put in my last blog post just a question in terms of you know if you know if you think about it you know would you pay for the content that I produce which obviously is currently free it's a passion project um, currently and and you know uh, it kind of made me feel uncomfortable in terms of you know Will I put it in or not put it in? And you know, I, I guess I've probably three hundred and fifty or four hundred subscribers, so nothing, nothing anywhere near your 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 uh, your reach. But it's funny. I mean, and, and not, and not, it's no reflection of people I send it to. But I've had eight respondents, and predominantly, some said yes, some said maybe, and some said hell no. So, as I said, appreciation comes in many forms. Um, and just, I, I guess, in terms of trying to monetize content, it's just difficult these days. And like, it's not a reflection on, on you or me or anybody else. I mean, you push it out, but there's an expectation that it's free and there's no cost to it. And there's a value to it, surely, but I don't really know what I'm saying. It's just, I'm just really just waffling at this point in time because this isn't really thought through and it's very much sort of train of consciousness to a certain degree. But I, I, I guess, and I, 
I, I suppose I can afford to afford inverted commas. I'm, I'm lucky I can afford to to invest the time uh, that's necessary to do this. But I suppose I in many ways, did you start pitch marks with a view to monetizing it? Or, I mean, obviously you're now, I guess there's a critical mass involved as well. And again, I'm just talking. So please, Richard, there's not a question here. So just over to you. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I found the other day I was looking for something else. I, I found some notes from back in that time when I, you know, I just got a message back from Sam at Cookie Jar saying, "Oh, we'll push this out on tomorrow or whenever that was," and um, I think I well, I, I I'd written down that it was a trial to see if anyone liked it, see if it's any good. Um, and then I'd written down a sort of secondary objective to build an audience so that if I were to ever be in a position to try and release Mulligan uh, in whatever circumstances that was, whether it's self-published, I probably couldn't afford to do that. Um, or being lucky enough to find someone who was willing to do it, um, I'd have a ready-made audience or I could test that material on that audience i would never actually done that but um no but it, it is interesting because you know i know how much effort and time you put into this podcast and i know how much effort and time i put into my writing and it, it but it's an awkward balance there because um you know while the price of a cup of coffee every week isn't a lot to pay for the stuff hopefully well for the value people hopefully get out of what we're doing is it's an awkward thing and it's sort of i'm worried about it diluting from um the main reason we do this and that comes through in your stuff uh which is just passion you you care about the stuff and you want to help people understand stuff that they don't understand and perhaps some of that you didn't understand five years ago so you're sort of passing the gift down the line um yeah I don't know. I don't know the answer. You know, it'd be great to earn some money out of it, but actually, in another way, um, if it were to dilute what I was doing, then I probably wouldn't want that to happen. And if it starts to get to a point where I'm not happy doing it for what I get out of it, then I'll, I'll just stop. I guess. I've had an original thought Go on. for once. <laughs> So I guess just going back to that conversation with uh, my mate in Adelaide, you know, he was there saying, well, would you not look at subscription and paywalls for the scenario? Just there going, well, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy to a certain degree in that you have to keep feeding the beast to create the content that takes more and more time to create the content and push it out and I suppose you've got to start somewhere in terms of any new business. He sort of said, to, not that it's a business at the moment, you understand. So he that kind of got me thinking and I sort of said, well, I mean, to a certain degree, what I'm doing is I'm paying forward. I'm, as you said, I'm endeavoring to connect with people, interesting people that probably have a similar outlook to me and and with a, with a view to, you know, finding out more things about stuff that I'm interested in and hopefully other people are interested in too. So, you know, there's an element of me that actually would probably be inclined to keep it free if I could in terms of independence and not feeling the need to feed that particular beast, but actually there's an obligation to feed it 
if you start charging if you start charging people there's an expectation that on their behalf but i suppose what i'm really getting at is who knows i mean at, at the end of the day if it's a means to an end and we're enjoying it then why would you continue enjoying continue enjoying it and continue trying to talk to and get to know people that probably if you didn't do it you wouldn't get to know yeah like i mean i you know at the end of the day i've we've we've got quite close although we've never met Jasper and myself got quite close, although I've only met him once. You know, Mike Clayton is now a mate. Rod Murray's a mate. And I, I guess a former boss of mine, Marty Carr, who runs Carr Golf, um, he speaks about the fraternity of golf. And um, I think that there's a resonance to that, that actually there's a whole host of golf weirdos out there. We're just two of them. And... And I mean that with love as opposed to anything else. And, you know, the nice thing about golf is that you can go, you can travel with it. And you meet people in the weirdest of scenarios, out of the blue, on a golf course. And you immediately have something in common. Um, you talk the same language. Whether you're French or Japanese or anything else, you talk the same language. Yeah. And there's a commonality and a transcendence about that i suppose yeah yeah listening to you talk about it you know i i'm I'm exactly the same i think we're we're in this for love and you you put your heart and soul into doing something and people can pick that up they can smell it and um and and it pays back you know i just i couldn't have believed um a couple of years ago when i was contemplating quitting a perfectly reasonable job um, that I'd be about to have a book of my own out there, and you know, it might it might bring in a few quid, um, and it might lighten up some people's days or give them, you know, a tiny bit of joy to take out of it or whatever. And it might not, but for me, that's just been such a gift that's come out of this whole thing. So the the whole thing's been worthwhile already, in my view. And uh, when the occasional person, well, you know, when people drop messages back, as I'm sure, well, I hope they do to you because you're giving a lot to this community. Um, that's just worth, you know, you can't put a price on that stuff. So, yeah. No, it's, for sure. And, and look, it's the little things, you know, the most unexpected things sometimes, you know, somebody says, and the most unexpected people say, I listened to it. I thought yeah. it was really good. Whatever that might be. And they're going, I didn't think that was your bag, you know. And and you know, your 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 friend, um, uh, uh, the publisher of of Grant Books, you know, reached out to me, and that that meant a lot. Yeah. And 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 you know, he he's 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 just an example of the of the people that that are cheering in the background for for you and and for me, and it's it's great and and you know, humbled actually by by some of the the, the feedback and the help that I've been given. I'm sure you're the same. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that, like we've been saying, that's, that's its own reward. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll just see where these things go. But as long as we're putting our heart and soul into them, you know, it's a, it, that's its own, it brings its own pleasure, doesn't it? You know, and if the worst comes to the worst, and either it's reading material for some toilet time or some listening material for toilet time, well... That works too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Reading the bog sometimes, or <laughs> listening to the bog sometimes. <laughs> Listen, before we before before we get down a complete another different rabbit hole there, um, 
book plug again. So obviously it's grassroots. We're expecting it out end of July. Um, we're yeah. going to have a website. We're going to have a pre-order page. Uh, don't procrastinate on that. The sooner you get nope. it up, the more, nope. the more, the more, the more, the more we can we can rattle that particular uh, cage for you. Uh, before we let you go, and thank you for your time. Uh, so let's say I want to go to London, and so I, I've already told Ryan that I have to play. That he, sorry, he 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 wants to come on the pod, but said, no, you've got to come over and play it first of all before before I go on the pod. So I got to go to the Ellington. But then you reckon I have to go to New Zealand and Woking, yeah? Yeah, you what could. You, I mean, if 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 I'm over for how like how how obviously there's a lot of places to take off, but obviously New Zealand and Woking will be. Uh, just probably my sort of thing. It's the road less travelled. You know, most people would go to London and maybe think Wentworth and Sunnydale and the bigger names. So you're going to suggest a little bit more offbeat stuff, yeah? Not not that New Zealand and Woking are offbeat, but obviously from a historical perspective, I get Woking. I get I get why Woking's on, and, and I'm I'm all I'm all on for that. New Zealand has to be seen as well, yeah. Uh, just I, I love New Zealand it's just subtle and it's um, I've not seen enough of Tom Simpson's work but what what he did there to the original course is just is so much fun um, Swindley Forest is epic it's uh, it's a similar golf course but on more contoured um, property uh, let's think yeah I mean the Addington just after 20 years away it just blew me away it's on a different scale so you have to go there um and not least to meet ryan because he's he's incredible to meet ryan and actually maybe even meet mr devries who's uh, actually there at the moment yeah i saw that actually on the socials that he's around um uh where else is near here i mean shane rye is just magical but I believe that's the, the advice there is don't go in the summer because it's bouncy bounce. So you want to go in the winter because it's a winter golf course and it's a little bit more forgiving in the winter and not quite as bouncy bounce, but it's bouncy bounce in the winter too. Yeah, it's pretty bouncy in the winter. Yeah, yeah. There's a lovely piece Alistair Cook wrote about going... Is it Cook or Darwin, actually? No, I think it's Cook wrote... Well, they both actually wrote about the President's Putter in the first week of June, but... um. Uh, yeah, I think it was Cook's one where he could. He looked out the window of the hotel and he just assumed there was no golf on. And he got a call saying, "Well, they're teeing off in ten minutes." Anyway, Rye's just go any season, any opportunity you get to go to Rye, go to Rye. Uh, deal is wonderful. Um, that's two hours from here, but you know if you're in the area, uh, where else is under the radar? Um, the W's so, so presumably West Hill Warbleson and uh, uh, yeah Woking and Woking they're, they're all so very play. very good um, well they're all amazing in their own way and they're very different golf courses right next to each other I I have a real soft spot for Warbleson I love it it's one of those ones that's grown on me time after time after time but quite frankly any of those that we've mentioned talk about long players and gaining a relationship with the place I could play any of those for the rest of my life and just be completely happy with it so yeah you yeah i don't think it'll work for your first visit but i've just recently been back down to minchinhampton old and i played cleave hill not so long ago for the fourth time i think really getting to know that and painswick 
Are you trying to are you trying to bring me over for three weeks? What the fuck is that? I think you need more than that. I think you need to sort of move here for a year. I think oh, this is so much. Yeah, I lived I lived in Brixton many moons ago. Um, ah, right. Not, a, not not again. I commuted from Brixton to Milton Keynes, would you believe, on a daily basis? That's Long an story. Yeah. That's an awkward commute to go and make. Uh, this was so I did my first year in university. Um, had to so I didn't I didn't uh, matriculate the second year, and I said f that I'm going to go off to London. London didn't didn't quite work out. I was uh, doing that commute and uh, making double glazing for uh, my <laughs> father's cousin, um, who was kind enough to give me a job and pay for the pay for the transport and whatnot. Yeah, living in in Brixton, you know, bus actually wasn't even Brixton; it was West Dulwich, so West Dulwich to Brixton. Tube from Brixton to Euston, intercity from Euston to Milton Keynes, and then a jalopy of a bus from there to the. wasn't Leighton Buzzer, but that's about the only place I can remember. Anyway, however, uh, won't won't be doing. So I won't be moving to London. Uh, okay, it, things are things are too good here in Dublin. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Uh, I was just thinking though, it's about the people though. So you know, the Addington with Ryan. Uh, come here and play West Byfleet. Um, there's so much around here. There, there's not many bad golf courses. Yeah. Listen, before we let you go, because I know you've got a, a run to do, running home, I, and, and this is completely uh, unscripted, and you don't know what I'm about to ask you. Oh, great. So, do you know? Do you know that smell that you get after rain outside on a golf course? Yeah. How would you How would you describe that? In, in, in if you were writing a piece on that. I know you're putting you on the spot here. So I'll try and fill a little bit of air time while you while you have a think. But as far as I know it's it's and correct me if I'm wrong, you're Mr Mr. Outside, Mr. Bear Grills. Not quite Bear Grills, but you get what I'm saying. David Bellamy maybe. Um or certainly a a, 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 a former a former greenkeeper. So you kinda know what I'm talking about. I think it's the spores, uh fungal spores is the the actual how, where the sensation comes from is that right am i right in saying that i'm out of my depth here I, I, <laughs> uh you completely got me there shane uh i've no idea absolutely okay no well, you know idea. what I'm, you it know sounds plausible. Sorry, it, it, i should have just it said doesn't matter. yeah you've got it yeah it doesn't it doesn't matter what it is i could be wrong but you know i've got a pretty good memory so i probably heard that somewhere okay so i might be talking complete utter shite but if i am fair enough but irrespective it's not about that it's not about what it is it's what does that smell make you feel and how would you express that uh i love the idea that it's sort of indicative of uh, uh, you know being able to go back outside not that i don't go out in the rain i love the rain particularly running in the rain but most people sort of hide under an umbrella or a reef i love that sort of freshness that comes after rain and the fact uh you know a dry golf course with an irrigation system pouring water on it, it is not the same so rain changes the whole ecosystem it just it's not just the moisture on the leaf of the plant it's the air all around it it just transforms the place there's a freshness to it um i don't know I, I, my sense of smell's not actually that acute shane so i'm struggling a bit i sort of i have in mind that it might be a sort of citrusy smell 
there's definitely just a freshness there and uh some sort of sense of hope i guess god you've absolutely nailed me there i, I don't know what to say that it was, would take me idea. about three weeks to write something about that but there you go there's an idea for a blog but i mean i, I wasn't trying to catch you out <laughs> it was something that you said probably about half an hour ago and i wanted to ask you the question in terms of your actually you know what it was it was actually in relation to that sense of of deeper being mm-hmm. and i actually didn't ask the question but i thought actually that's too good not to get you to comment on it so i'm sorry for putting you on the spot no. but you know what it's it's it is that sense that's se- that that sensory assault maybe if you are open to it as you say people sort of cover up and don't go outside and you know the rain's the rain's never as bad as you think it is when you're out there it's always worse when you're inside yeah yeah i love that idea and we sort of listen to um common opinions about all sorts of things don't we and put labels on all sorts of things i think where i'm struggling there is i would walk in the in the rain or just after the rain when everything's sort of fresh and vibrant and i'm not quite sure what words i'd put on that because you you can't put words on it and that was part of the you know the experiences i had as a greenkeeper and i sometimes have now because i think i'm a little bit more alert for details because i'm likely to start writing nostalgic stuff about them <laughs> it makes you uh, i don't know it's quite the, the word is always a blunt instrument it feels to me i can try my best it, to put heart and soul here, into here, it you know you know what i have an idea okay can you write something for me that I put on my Substack account about that? Yeah. Yeah. But only after I've procrastinated for a couple of days at least. That's fine. No, 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 no. I, I don't. I, it, 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 take your time. It doesn't need to be quick. Whenever it comes, it comes. Okay. It doesn't need to be long. It can be short. It can be long. Do whatever you want. Okay. But it's on, it's on, that, it's on that question of, of, of the smell after the rain yeah on the golf course obviously or not as the case may be but but you know you will find some mechanism to to uh, uh, create beauty from that I'll have a go (laughs) thank you for that curve it has been been an absolute it's always a delight to talk to you it's even even better delight to get some of your thoughts down on on, on the record hopefully this new PodTrack P4 Zoom. The microphone will kill you. Rob Murray's uh, Riverside FM. I've managed to press all the red buttons. I think I have because we've got both systems still recording. Yep. we two hours here, so minus a little break I took. We're bang on. We're bang on schedule. There we go. People will be people will be giving out again. It's very long. Just press pause. Yeah. Richard, listen. Always a pleasure. Yep, Never thank you so much, Shane. Chat really appreciate it. Cheers. That was... Sorry about that. I, I, I couldn't help myself. Many thanks for tuning in. As usual, you can find us online at firmandfast.golf or on Twitter at firmandfastgolf. Please continue to like, subscribe, comment really is appreciated. Until the next time, happy golfing.